Welcome to The County Agent, an educational podcast based out of the Barber County Extension Office, a local unit within the Kansas State Research and Extension System. All right, good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, whatever it may be for you. Welcome to the County Agent Podcast. It's Justin Goodenow. I'm the County Agent in Barber County. Am I, and I am joined today, sorry about that, by, uh, well, one former extension agent, one current agent. I've got Clint Laughlin with us and Barrett Simon. Uh, both these guys are uh, seasoned veterans in the beef cattle world. And we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, what to look for with your beef project for 4-H or FFA kids. And uh, we'll hopefully discuss what we're going to be looking for in a market beef project and a breeding beef project. And uh, uh, so we're going to get after it. And uh, if we could, let's do some introductions here. Clint, if you want to start, just kind of introduce yourself, give a little background, and uh, sure. then we'll follow up with Barrett. Sure. Okay, well, uh, good morning, everybody. My name is, uh, as Justin said, uh, Clinton Laughlin. And I am the Livestock Extension Agent in Russell and Ellsworth County for Kansas State Research and Extension. Um, I'm a fifth generation uh, cattleman and always enjoyed, uh, you know, evaluating cattle and livestock. Graduated from uh, Oklahoma State University with a uh, bachelor's in animal science and ag communications and a master's in international ag and uh, been in K-State Research and Extension for about five years. Uh, doesn't seem like it's been that long, wow. Uh, but, uh, but you know, really uh, thrilled to be on this podcast here today and uh, just looking forward to kind of discussing uh, some selection criteria uh, in 4-H projects. Thank you, Clint. I did not realize you had a master, did you say international ag? Yep, with a focus in business, yep. Uh, when I did it, and when I did it at OSU, it was a brand new master's program. Um, they've still got it, and uh, was able to take an international experience uh, with that program, and and uh, yeah, it was great. Well, good luck following that, Barrett. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Barrett. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Hey, sure looking forward to uh, today's podcast. Appreciate the call and you guys letting me. Tag along again. My name is Barrett Simon. I'm from Roselia, Kansas, which is kind of in the Flint Hills, the southern side of the Flint Hills. For those of you that may be tuning in from a little further away, as Justin mentioned, uh, had the enjoyment and the pleasure to work for the Post Rock Extension District of KSRE for a few years as their livestock production agent. Currently, uh, and and working in the ag real estate sector as well as doing uh, quite a bit of auctioneering, and so. Grew up showing cattle, loved every minute, loved every show, uh, believed in the program and believed in what it can do for, for young people and, and still enjoy attending shows, judging a few of them. And, uh, you know, just like so really excited to talk about uh, the different considerations here today, because as all three of us know, there's about a million of them when you're picking out your project. And so I'm uh, really excited to be here and I'll kick, kind of kick it back to you, Justin. All right. Hey, uh, so let's get started and let's let's just eliminate any any questions. Good cattle is good cattle. 
regardless if somebody wants to call it a quote unquote club calf, quote unquote yep. ranch steer, good cattle is good cattle, period. So when we're talking about right. this, uh, let's don't say, well, if it's a clubby this or if it's, you know, a local yokel sure. that, let's just call a spade a spade. Good cattle is good cattle, period. So yep. sorry to ruffle anybody's feathers that may be out there that's got, listen, uh, that, that thinks contrary, but good livestock's good livestock. So, uh, Clint, let's start with you. If if you're going out hunting hunting that next steer, or if it's got to be a market heifer, we're looking at a market project, uh, and, we're, and we're and we're looking at this time of year. I know uh, if if we still don't have it, we may be a little bit behind the eight ball if we're planning on doing some some winter jackpotting, but. So we're looking at this time of year. What sure. is it that 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 you're looking for in that market beef project? Well, you know, I, I think when I go look at a market beef project, I'm really looking for just some fundamentals and understanding of, hey, we're trying to, you know, find an animal that fits market standards uh, and something that can gain into being, you know, a market ready animal you know, around say 1400 pounds. So really there's a couple things that I really look for when I'm selecting something, you know, and, and Barrett's heard this before too, but you know, I really look for something that's gonna be, you know, structurally correct, uh, something that's really right in their angles. You know, our, our judging coach uh, used to always tell us, if you don't start right at the ground, it doesn't work. And so I really think, you know, something that's really structurally right, but also one that has, you know, adequate muscle. Really, when we're looking at, you know, a market animal, we want something that's going to be stout, heavy muscle, you know, still structurally correct, but uh, really built right. Um, just from a, a look and eye appeal standpoint that uh, they can develop into something and really feed well. Uh, the other thing that I look for when I'm looking at an animal is understanding, you know, kind of what the experience level of the showman is, um, too, because, you know, if it's a kind of a first year or second year showman, maybe they're younger, you know, I want to have something that, you know, isn't going to take my head off. Um, you know, I want to have something that's that's pretty holder broke. Um, and so just kind of be aware of disposition. So that's why I always say, take the time to go out and look through them yourself or work with people that you really trust and have a relationship with to help you locate a, a good project that fits your uh, kid or your family's needs. Yeah, I like what you said there. I, I bumped into uh a gentleman that we may call a cattle jock. I think you guys probably know him. He lives um, on the east of Wichita. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and he's, he's very successful through the years, either helping people or his own kids uh, showing. And I seen him at a rodeo a while back and said, hey, got a friend of mine, maybe looking for a, a, a steer or a heifer to play outside the county fair for the first time young kid this is what the kids like he goes that's the most important thing you could have told me 
was who are we going to be trying to match an animal up with? Absolutely. Because that's, you know, when my daughter, one of my daughters wanted to get in the beef project, her first year in 4-H, she weighed about 40 pounds. Uh, we went to pick one out, and, and I can still remember we went to the, the pens. She goes, what are we going to get, a steer or a heifer? And I said, I don't know yet. And when we stepped foot in the pens and everything took off running to the other side but one, I said, looks like we're going to show a heifer. <laughs> it was the one that didn't take off. Yeah. We were yeah. looking for disposition, period. Yeah. It, but that's that, you know, my kid weighed 40 pounds. I mean, we had to find something that was gentle. Clint, right. I really like what you said about structure. I, I think sometimes in the livestock show world in general, we got too many people giving up structure for muscle mm -hmm. and and uh, some freaky stuff. Was just right. talking to a guy this morning uh, about a steer that you know we said if that son of a gun straight legged, you know, at seven hundred pounds, what's going to be like at fourteen hundred? Is yep. he even going to be able to get around? And so I think it's important that we look at that structure. Uh, Barrett, jump in there. Let's hear what you got to say. Sure, no, and obviously the, the last couple topics between disposition and structure um, are certainly important, and I may hit on those just here in a moment. Um, but to your original question, what are you looking for throughout the fall season as you're selecting your project? I just echo a lot of what Clint said. You know, again, think not what they look like now, but what what's your goal? What do you want them to look like at the county fair the following year or the state fair? Um, all three of us obviously like to, to jackpot cattle or goats or really any species. And so that's fun. But ultimately, the end goal is, is the market side of things and, and the fat steer show. And so wherever that may be, have an image in your mind of what you want this project to look like. And throughout time, you'll be able to gauge, okay, here's Here's what steer A looked like last fall when I was selecting him. Where would I change him now as a fat steer? And, and as you go through several, several of those projects, it'll sure help. But I do think they need to start um, to Clint's point by checking the boxes or having the potential to check the boxes for, for market readiness. Muscularity, are they going to be able to eat? Are they going to be able to lay down fat cover? That's where we start. Um, I think oftentimes that gets confused as we go out and search for these prospect kind of cattle and say, wow, he's big and burly and really big ribbed and extremely powerful today. That's not always what we're after. I think it's okay to, to look at one that's a little bit greener, uh, but has the right shape, the right shape behind his shoulders, over his rib and loin, uh, the right kind of square hip, big pin steer or market heifer, uh, look for those right and fresh and green kind of cattle uh, that have the potential to bloom with time. Because ultimately, and, and again, we all kind of know that over the cycle from the time you purchase them to the time you, you show at that market show, there's going to be days where they look lights out. And there's going to be days where maybe they don't look as good. But in a perfect world, we're searching for one that, that's maybe not ideal today but one that gets better every day of his life. And, and to me, it starts with the right shape. Don't be afraid to, to evaluate those cattle and look for one that's a little bit greener, but
but has all the right pieces. And that really kind of dovetails into, again, another point that both of you guys hit on, and that's the structure thing. You know, I personally, when, when selecting a prospect or a calf, still don't want to give up an extreme amount of muscle so that I can have a really attractive hip and hind leg or a really soft pastern. But don't be afraid to blend those two things together um, when you're selecting your calf. I do think, Justin, to your point, that goes just the same as muscle shape does. We want to forecast what they look like at 1,400 pounds. And any minute issue or any small issue that you're noticing, whether it be a little open at the base of their shoulder, whether they be a little, little tighter through their hock, a little more upright through their pastern, they don't get better in those areas over time. You, you can add muscle sometimes um, as they lay down fat cover. The other things that are phenotypic start to mellow out and start to look a little bit better. Structure does not generally get better over time, regardless of what part of the skeleton, it, you know, the issue is in, in the particular animal. And so I do think it's a balancing act. I'm not one. I think we see a trend right near probably right now, probably in the show steer world where we're giving up a, a tremendous amount of muscle and pursuing uh, some structural correctness, which I do think is important. And I think we'll maybe talk about some some breeding female selection here in a bit. And I think that comes into play even heavier at that point in time. Structure is extremely important. We still have to have the market fundamentals in those cattle. And again, you don't have to have them um, with all the perfect market fundamentals as a 650 pound calf, but you sure want to make sure they have the pieces to fulfill those goals as they, they push up into heavier weights and become closer um, to that market show. And so I think it's a balancing act. I think both are very important. Um, and just put yourself in a position to have a project that, that you truly believe will get better in those areas over time, maybe not one that's perfect in those areas today. Patience is a virtue, I guess, long story short. Yes. You bet, you bet. So <clears throat> let me just throw this out there. We, we kind of talked some basics there. Does the breed of of the of the animal come into to, does it factor in at all i mean so i'm talking to a couple guys i know that like maybe like a specific breed of cattle but sure. say you're you're out there and boom there's this charlet or there's this key that does that breed and their characteristics forecasting down the line does does that come into play at all when you're purchasing? Go ahead, Clint. Either, either one of you jump in. You know, I'll jump in here. I mean, I think it, it does to an extent, you know, if you have, uh, if if you are selecting, say, uh, you know, it, it does factor in if you're gonna say, well, okay, I know a Charlet is probably gonna be stouter, made just naturally than say an Angus steer, or, you know, you just, you, you kind of have, some basic things in the back of, at least in my mind of saying well okay this breed's growth pattern and maturity curve is maybe traditionally a little different than another one i mean so so it's not it's not maybe a make or break decision for me as we said at the start of this good cattle is good cattle is good cattle but i think just having that basic understanding in your mind that 
okay, get different breeds are going to have different strengths. So understanding to Barrett's point, you know, what your end goal is and, you know, what your target show is um, can play into that too. You know, am I going to want to take an Angus steer to Angus Junior Nationals? Or am I, you know, if you have a breed preference, you know, some of those types of things may play in, but but uh, just, just keep that in the back of your mind and when kind of determining, you know, what, what goals you have for your project. Yeah, I think, you know, Justin, you guys do something that's pretty unique and pretty cool with your Barber County fraternity. Um, at your county fair, obviously, a lot of those are home-raised steers that come out of commercial cow herds. Uh, and you know what I thought about the, the front end of those cows. I had the, the pleasure to come judge your show this past summer and liked them a lot. I thought those were, to your point, very close to ideal kind of market steers that came out of those local commercial herds that still had the look, still had the structure that Clint mentioned. But I say all this before we get there, you know, we, we talked about forecasting what those cattle are going to look like at 13, 1400 pounds. I think there are some differences to, for me personally when selecting. If, if I'm to Clint's point and going out, maybe not so much exactly breed specifically, but if I'm going out and, and I'm a young person going through a commercial cow herd that has good genetics, maybe a little bit better than, than the average from a feed conversion standpoint and, and from a gain standpoint, there can be some very, very impressive steers in some of those groups that we might be um, ready to, to purchase and halt or break and show at the county fair level. If I'm in that pen, I'm probably actually looking for something a little bit greener. You know, at that point, you have the luxury knowing that a lot of those cattle are going to, at some point, check the boxes for those market fundamentals of, of muscle and fat pepper that we talked about. That's what they were bred to do. So at that point, I'm, I'm putting a lot more emphasis on, on the quality things, the, the structure things, the balance. Um, and I'm probably not picking a steer that's in the, the top third of that commercial set of steers for growth or weight or, or cover at that point in time, because I know in the back of my mind, their feed conversion and their rate of gain is going to be through the roof. And, and that actually puts us in a tough position as we get into the, the middle part of the summer or the early fall. How do we hold these things? You know, they, they've, ate, they've been on feed their, their entire life. They've done everything we asked them to do. Are we flirting with getting these steers too far past their ideal finish point? And so if you're in that pen, I think it's okay to go ahead and look for one that's a little bit greener, maybe a little bit fancier, find the things you like from a quality and balance standpoint and have faith that for the most part, those cattle are, are going to eat and they're going to gain well. If I'm looking for something that's going to go fight the jackpots a little bit more, something that's maybe um, a higher caliber club calf type steer, I think at that point, you probably do maybe want a little bit more weight on those cattle, not to say that they don't gain, but as we compare them back to that other group that I was talking about that has been bred for performance, you know, we're going to, we're going to want to see a little bit more early performance out of those, um, you know, showier type cattle or clubbier type cattle to give ourselves a fighting chance moving forward. And, and we all know, again, 
in your part of the world, Justin, and hopefully there's some folks tuning in from, from further away, the middle of the summer, it's hard to keep a, an 11, 12, 1300 pound steer on feed regardless. So don't put yourself too much in a bind if you're selecting a, a clubby influenced or a show influence type steer by getting too far and into the green category. Again, I think there's a fine line there, but for me, if I'm picking clubby versus I'm picking performance oriented or commercial kind of cattle for various endpoints, those are some considerations I would make and I, I would kind of tailor it that way more so than breed specific. You know, Barrett, you bring up a good point. I'll give two uh, contrasting examples of what we've seen here in the last few years. I'll start with last year for an example, most of the cattle, as you know, in this county are from Barber County. I mean, that's just the way it is. Got good, darn good cattle. Uh, our, our weather uh, last year was phenomenal for growing cattle. And about 45 days from the county fair, uh, we've got a 1,500 pound weight limit on market beef. <laughs> Uh, we got cattle that's teetering that, and so we have to have the talk with with our board that do we waive the weight limit? You know, if Mother Nature doesn't do her thing and we turn off and get hot, humid, do something to slow this down, uh, we're going to have a bunch of cattle over fifteen hundred that you know, according to our our fair book, takes you out of the prizes. And so uh, we waived our weight limit. Turns out weather ended up doing what it was supposed to do because uh, we don't have a bunch of cattle in coolers or we may have a few under fans but most of the cattle that that are in this county that are under fans it's under uh the wind <laughs> that's their fan <laughs> uh, so, so uh on the flip side a few years back got a kid that has a club calf and uh we're looking at it in may and I said, you you better put the hammer down. They said, what do you mean? I said, you better get to feeding. I said, this calf is looking, uh, we, we've got a minimum of a thousand pounds at the fair. And I said, if you don't, if you don't get aggressive right now, you're gonna get behind the eight ball and it doesn't matter what you do in uh, June and July, because it's, it's gonna be blistering hot. You may not make weight at the Dagum County Fair, Holy smokes, they uh, they showed up just over a thousand pounds and then rolled into the state fair at less than 1,200 pounds. And it was one of them to what you said, Barrett, sometimes you got to be cognizant of what you got in your pen and, and where you at, where you're at in, in the world. You know, if, 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 you, if you don't have a setup that's conducive for growing cattle, then You've got to be strategic. You got to you got to use some real world principles. You know, just my two cents, Clint. What do you think? Oh, I and I totally agree. And I think you know, there's my dad has always said that you know cattle cattle only have so many really good shows in them. So you know, so having an understanding like we've talked of of what your target is, and and you know, really being able to kind of okay work backwards from that target date you know and, and whether if you have a set of scales at home or you know or something where you can really kind of design a game plan 
on feed, on, you know, how much you're feeding them, kind of what your management strategy is, then it's a lot easier for you to make incremental improvements, you know, day by day. And, and one thing that I like to do is, is if I've got a project that I kind of want to keep track of, okay, and if it's something that I'm feeding every day, you know, maybe take a video of that project every week um, and then be able to go back over time and say, well, okay, how much progress have I made in the last month? Okay, and then you can go back and you can kind of see, all right, maybe do I need to tweak this? How much cover have they put on? How much weight have they gained? You know, the more information that you can take down and have at your disposal, the better. Because since we're dealing with a project that, you know, we're working with for months at a time, I think sometimes it's a little easy to get barn blind. And if you don't manage your strategy well, you, as you said, Justin, can get behind the eight ball or mismanage your end goal, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, we're, we're not big, big in the beef project. We've done a couple times with, uh, with a little girl. I absolutely love what you said, Clint, and, and this is what we do. We did when we were showing a couple heifers is what we do when we show goats is I, I bounce those projects off of people that I respect and they know what I'm doing. Like we'll take a video like when we, we had those heifers, we would take a video of her walking around, setting them up over the top. I mean, every angle there was send it to a guy and say, what do you think? We're on track. We're on point. And I'm not talking. We send it to 10 guys. I'm seeking the advice of a close friend. You know, somebody that ain't afraid to say, hey, you're really screwing this up. I don't need somebody that's wanting to uh, give me a pat on the back. We're not in it for participation ribbon. We want the truth. And so I think that's very important. Even, you know, uh, in the goat deal, that's what we've, that's been our main thing. I know we're talking show cattle here, but our main thing at my house is these show goats. We've been running that deal for years and, and I still We'll take pictures and videos at least once a month, if not more, and send it to a guy and say, what you, what are you thinking? Here's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Because I can get barn blind real fast. I mean, I like my stuff a lot, but sometimes other people don't. <laughs> that's, that's the epitome of barn blindness. Uh, we're getting pretty good on time. Have we covered enough on market beef? Can we dabble a little bit on, on say, say a breeding beef project? Are you, are you guys good with that? Is there anything else we need to visit with on the market side? What do you think, Barrett? Or yeah, I mean, that that sounds fine to me, Justin. You're, you're running the show, obviously. I think there's a million considerations on both sides of it, you know, and, and that's where you know, if I'm a young person, somebody like you, Justin, and, and the role that you do, and I and both of you guys, I think from an extension standpoint, obviously, I've got a ton of respect for, for what you're doing and, and how you're working with, with the youth within your county or counties and on these things, making this information available. 
I think you guys are a tremendous resource, you know, for those that, that may be showing livestock early in life, as well as Clint, you just had, had some success at, at what I would call a mid-major show and have had plenty of success um, at the majors as well. And so I, I think that's important. You guys are great examples of somebody that, that youth can bounce ideas off of, ask for advice, ask for help. And I, I think, again, that's, that's an important part of showing livestock. I don't care what species we're talking about. Having that short list of people, maybe their peers, maybe their mentors, maybe their family, um, that say, hey, exactly what you just talked about, Justin. And, and for the older showmen or, or showmen that are out and about and jackpotting every weekend or going to some majors, uh, you know, you guys should look in and, and find out who those peers for you are as well or, or who somebody is that you can, can create relationships with. And again, I think it starts with, with your, your county agent potentially and the relationship that you have with them. But also, you know, who, who are you talking to at those shows? It's a competitive business. And that's why the three of us, you know, like it is because we're competitive people but don't let that overshadow what you're really doing here. Make, make strong relationships as you go to those shows. Find somebody that you respect and somebody, Justin, to your point, that'll be honest with you on the good and the bad. Um, and, and so don't let the fact that so-and-so beat you at last weekend's jackpot or so-and-so beat you at Kansas City turn it into to a rivalry. Rivalries are extremely important, in my opinion, but let there be some silver linings to that too and say, hey guys, talk to me a little bit. You know, I, I know I did that growing up and, and everybody again from, from my dad to some of the most competitive folks in the business. And, and if, you're, if you're open with people, I think, and, and you're willing to ask questions, that's one thing that I think is really unique about the livestock world and, and particularly um, livestock showing is, is there are people out there that are willing to answer your questions. And so don't ever be afraid to ask, find somebody that you think is doing a tremendous job, that you like the way that they carry themselves and dive in. Um, we could talk probably for days just on, on market steer selection here, but I think we're fixing to dive in probably to the breeding female side. Just find somebody to ask questions to. Start with Justin, start with Clint, find somebody that you compete against, bounce ideas off them. Um, and, and hopefully get a little bit better with, with each one that you drag through the barn, get a little bit more knowledgeable about what you're doing, a little bit more efficient in your selection process, as well as your feeding and, and daily care process. And then, you know, as you get older, you, you've got a, a chance to really be a force to be reckoned with at any of the levels that we've talked about. You know, Bear, I'll tell you, and uh, people from around here that's gonna hear this, uh, podcast will know exactly who I'm talking about, and you will too. Uh, when when Jancy wanted to show a heifer, and we didn't, you know, I've been out of, out of that loop for a long time, brother, long time. I went to the family in this county that everybody hated. I don't want to say hate. Every, there's that one family that everybody talks about at the county fair because they always win. Well, they got to be cheating. They got to be cheating. I went to that family because they had more success than anybody else in this county showing cattle. Said, you have any interest in helping us? You know, we're not asking you to do the work. What we're asking is we want somebody we can bounce 
stuff off of. Here's here's what we're feeding. Does this does this sound about right? Here's what our plan is. Does this sound about right? That turned out that family wasn't a bunch of cheaters. That family worked harder than anybody else in the county. That's why they always won. If you ain't putting in the time, this ain't Disney. I mean, where dreams come true in the snap of a finger or the wisp of a wand, you've got to work. The people that's winning, showing livestock, regardless of species, but especially with cattle, are dang sure putting in a lot of time. I mean, it's you if you're not putting as much time with your with your beef project as you are uh, hitting a baseball off the tee for baseball, keeping your wrists in shape, or shooting free throws for basketball, uh, don't expect to be playing at the top. That's the cold hard facts of life, right there. And so. I, Bear, I think you're 100% right on identifying those people. And just because somebody's saying something about somebody doesn't mean it's true. Go, go investigate yourself. There's a reason why they're winning. Uh, it may be just because they work harder than anybody else at it. And, and that's a tough pill to swallow <laughs> it, it, when you find that out. Uh, looking at the Breed, Breed, Breed and Beef Project, I th- I, I'll just share my limited experience. I'm, I'm, when I'm when I'm looking at a heifer, I'm looking for the cow, period. I, on down the line, I'm looking for the one that's going to lay down and, and and be a mama, because we're not we're not raising uh, show cow. We just want something that's flat, good, something that's in the pasture that when your neighbor drives by says, "Look at that, boys. That's a pretty good one." We call it those front pasture kind. That's really my criteria. <laughs> Looking for breeding beef. Want some rib, want some deb. I want that cow. Clint, what do you think? Oh yeah, and I and I and and I'm I'm like you, Justin. You know, when I'm evaluating a show, you know, and, and even evaluating my own cattle, I I don't separate you know, show from a good one, from a good cow prospect. I think, you know, and I think we need to remember that those two things should be intertwined. And uh, so, you know, so I'm, I'm really selecting breeding beef with the long game in mind. You know, how can that animal help me build a breeding program? You know, and I think as, as young people that are getting into the project, I think we've got to remember that, you know, all the people that have, you know, that are really doing well, that are maybe winning all the time, they had to start somewhere too. You know, they they maybe didn't start at the front of the class or win and shows all the time when they got started either. So so I think, you know, really being willing to to uh to get started and you know to find okay, what are my goals in a breeding program? What am I wanting to do? And then aligning yourself with, you know, mentors or educators that, you know, can kind of help you get there. I think that's really, really important. But it's like the Charlotte heifer that I used to win the show in Wyoming this last weekend. I mean, is she the freakiest fronted thing in the world? No, but that's a donor cow in a couple of years just because of her build, her maternal value her depth, her look of quality from the side. And so I think, you know, really understanding that, 
that show cattle and production cattle don't have to be different things. Okay, they can be one and the same, and those foundational pieces still have value in both settings. So, you know, just being able to build off of that, I think, is very, very important as we're selecting a project. Good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would echo that. And, um, you know, both of you kind of already talked about the long-term approach, which is very different than, than the market steer approach. Um, you're going to own, hopefully, that breeding female for a longer period of time. And the guys that are judging, guys and gals that are judging these shows, they're thinking that in the back of their mind as well. And so for me, from a selection standpoint, we talked a little bit about the importance of structure and, and your steer selection, I think it becomes more important, obviously, when, when selecting a female. And that is because of the things that you guys already hit on. You're going to own those cattle for a longer period of time. They have to hold up. And, and oftentimes, the, the early portion of their life, when they're in your show barn, when, when you're taking care of those cattle, feeding those cattle, um, and, and making sure that they're in tip-top condition to, to be drugged through a show ring, that's the easiest portion of their life. And so not only are you going to own them for, for longer, but it, life's going to get tougher on those females. And so they have to be bred up and phenotypically sound to go out and do those. And that's where a lot, again, from a judge's perspective, the guys that are judging the major shows, Clint, you're going to, to the Great Northern here just recently and selecting cattle with those principles in mind. But it's not just structure, I guess, for me. You know, when we talk about, Justin, you talk about making one or owning one that, that embodies the front pasture kind, I think that's exactly right. And, and lots of times, whether you're a college kid in a livestock judging contest, whether you're judging a county fair, judging a major, exhibitors can probably expect to hear the term functionality. And to me, structure is a big, big portion of that. But it also encompasses things like body type. Right now, um, for me, it's always been, you know, boldness of rib and depth of body don't always work hand in hand. But again, that's that's something that I think both are important and both are important in the show ring. Both are important in a range setting. Uh, right now, for example, depth of body is is the more the better. You know, when you take cattle into the show ring, and I think there's some value to that as well. But keep that in mind, you know, do they have a deep maternal sweep to their rib or, or is that matching up with everything else that I'm seeing? For example, something that's extremely deep body, but breaks behind her shoulders and is sway top still probably isn't your ideal, ideal breeding female. Something that's hooked up, still jet level down her top, very deep bodied, comes to an attractive set at the top side of her hip. And then comes in with those structure things like the set to her hip and her hind leg as she's pointing north and south on her front feet. You start blending those things into me. That's where the term functional comes in into play. And that is what's so important. And, and I think kind of hitting everything that you guys are talking about as well. To me, that's a major consideration. And just like in the market steer selection, you don't need one to look like a three-year-old cow or even a big bred heifer when she weighs 600 pounds. Give them some time, make sure they're long enough bone, long enough spine that to, to grow into what you want them to be at maturity. Make sure they have the things, the femininity 
through their front one third. Make sure they're hooked up right behind their shoulders. Make sure they have all those things in check. You'll be amazed what feeding time can do for one, especially in, in the breeding piece side of things, what feeding, feeding time can do for one if they, they check all the little boxes first. And so look at those functionality traits, the structure, the body type, the natural dimension, and then, then add on your extras, uh, you know, the femininity, the look, the quality of those females. And if you do that, I think you'll be well on your way, whether you're buying one show heifer or whether you're buying a bunch of heifer calves to put in a string and ultimately make uh, in, into your cow herd. I think you'll be hopefully pleased with the outcome if, if you start with those simple things. You know, Bear, you've mentioned it twice, and I think it uh, bears discussion. Just discussing is um, know what we're, know what our target is, and and, and you talk about uh, we see we identify that one that looks like the cow at seven hundred pounds, or the one that looks like the stud at 700 pounds, that may not be who we need to be buying. If, if our target goal is September, October, uh, then what we're looking at right there when we're finding that, that stallion at 700 pounds, well, that's the kid that in the fifth grade is four inches taller than everybody else in the shaving. You know, he's a stud basketball player. He's a stud on the kickball field, you know. But come high school, he's pretty common. You know, he he excelled early, but flamed out pretty quick because everybody else caught him. And I think that's the importance of of knowing how to evaluate. It doesn't matter if it's cattle, sheep, goats. Know how to evaluate livestock to where you can spot those diamonds in the rough. We always call them uh, rock flippers. Don't be don't be afraid to flip a few rocks to find that rough one that everybody else is passing on. Uh, there is, I like a good one like that. I like to find those like that, but you, you gotta know, you gotta know how to evaluate livestock to do that. Don't get caught up in that real fluffy one that looks like it's ready to show right now, unless you're wanting to show right now. Right. Right. <laughs> if, if your show's not till, till July, there ain't no need to have that one that's ready. <laughs> You know, and we talked yeah, about it in the beginning, Justin, there, there are a million goals. And so, um, you know, with that, you, you use the term diamond in the rough. I love that term. And they are out there. And every breed, whether you're, again, looking through a, a performance-oriented herd or whether you're looking through a set of 10, 10 show steers or show heifers that are going to sell online here in three weeks, don't be afraid to find the diamond in the rough. Now, it takes a little practice. And, and sometimes, and I think probably all three of us have, have maybe even been burned by one that we thought was a diamond in the rough and turned out just to be rough, you know. We don't talk about that. That can happen as well, don't, but don't be afraid to find the one that's just a little skinnier, but sure looks awful right from a structural standpoint, sure looks awful right from a body type standpoint. Um, with that being said, depending at what level you want to play at and, and what level the banker will allow you to play at, don't miss a good one that does check all the boxes today either because it, it looks too good to be true. The old saying, sometimes if they look too good to be true, well, they might be. But if one checks all the boxes, 
is bigger, burlier, seems to seems to really work, and, and you want to go fight an earlier show where your plan is to, to go ahead and jackpot that heifer, you know, from, from the middle of December on through early April, don't be afraid if, if she does check all those boxes to go ahead and swing on that good one. Nate, just because they're big doesn't mean they're good, but just because they're big doesn't mean they're not right for you either. Um, and so regardless of size, regardless of maturity, if they check all those boxes and probably more so even on the, the female side and the steer side, I'm a little more adamant that, that maybe we need something with time to mature in, in the steer side of things because you can push those cattle a little bit harder as they get heavier. But on the female side, I'm a big fan of a green one, but more than that, I'm a big fan of a good one. You know, and so if, if they're big and good, Go ahead and swing on, on a female like that and, and let her influence your show career, let her influence your cow herd, but just know what you're looking at, Justin, and, and, and you said it, you know, don't get caught up in one particular trait and say, wow, that automatically makes her good. Look at the whole picture, see how functional she is, imagine what she's going to look like as she matures and as she gets set into production later in life, if that's your goal, and if she's one of the green ones, great. If she's one of the big ones, great. But know what your goal is and, and what you're looking at. Make an educated decision. Um, and, and that's how we keep our, ourselves above water when selecting these projects, in my personal opinion. Yeah, and Justin, if I could jump in just here, too. I, I want to echo what Barrett said. And I think for me, you know, when we're looking at, at potentially buying a heifer or a breeding beef project, what I like to do, I like to go out if possible, you know, to, to kind of get a glimpse into the future, I like to go try to look at their mother. Or if I can't look at their specific dam, then I like to go look at that person's cow herd in general. Um, because then that way, all right, if they are green or even if they're more mature and show ready right now, if I feel good about the quality, the maternal quality of that cow base, then I'm going to be ready to rock and feel good about whichever heifer I pick because I'm like, well, if, if they can mature into that set of cows, then I should have a, a meaningful purchase at the end of the day or at least really lessen my risk of of striking out somewhere and i think i think that's important too is understanding okay you know understanding what your budget is understanding what your limitations are and be honest with yourself you know set a budget and say okay these this is my parameters and you know and this is what i can work with and this is what i need help with okay you don't have to be awesome at everything but you need to have an understanding of what your strengths and your weaknesses are to try to manage those successfully. So just try, when selecting a breeding project, try to look at the cow base, build a relationship with somebody that you're buying from um, to get some help if you need it, and then understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. I'm gonna roll right into another subject if you don't mind, because you, you made a point about that relationship with who you're buying that, that project from. I think the next step is once we identify what we want, uh, once we've made our purchase, 
I don't think it matters if it's a market beef or a breeding beef. I think where some families miss the boat and end up having a bad experience, they forget they need to build a relationship with the project itself. They start too fast. I know, I know of guys that's picked up in this county, and I'm sorry if they're if they're if they're gonna listen to this, but this is the truth, and they're idiots for doing it. They tried to slap a halter on cattle that's never been handled and tie them in the trailer for the ride home. That's not a great experience for that calf. Ain't a great experience for the kid that's going to be working with that calf either. <laughs> We're not talking about shotgun broke cattle. <laughs> so I think know what you're purchasing. If you're buying something that's that's uh, got a little fire to it, you know, when, you, when you're bringing it home, I think it's very important, and I'll just use it from my perspective with what we've had to do with my kids because my kids are little. We'll kick them in a pen by themselves, and, and it's low and slow, a lot like breaking a horse. We do not get in a hurry. We may, we may not put a halter on that calf for a month. It's all about we want to be able to walk in that pen and, and have that calf not get its head up and, and look for a place to go jump to get out. We don't, we don't want that. We want that calf being able to make a move towards us or feeling comfortable with us moving around in there. And that takes time. But that's what we've done with, with, our, with our projects because I'm dealing with little girls. You know, I know some guys that'll bring them home, run them right through the chute, slap a halter on them, open up the chute, and it's a full-on rodeo till we can get it tied to a post. I remember 1990, Ellic, Oklahoma. I'm my 130-pound hide getting drug over a feed bunk by a shorthorn steer and Glenn Stroud hollering in the background, whatever you do, don't let go. <laughs> you know, I don't do that no more. It's low and slow. Take your time, build that relationship with that animal, and that'll pay dividends down the line. It, it, but it takes time. You know, we I came to extension and, and found out that we got this stuff we call low stress cattle handling. I grew up, that's how you just handle cattle. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't have a name. That's just what you did. You handled them easy. You knew how to move them by applying pressure and taking pressure away, not by slinging sorting sticks and hot shots and everything else. But I'm going to let you guys jump in and uh, visit a little bit about what you're going to do with that calf when you get it home. Well, yeah, and I, I think, you know, and you kind of alluded to it, I really like your process there, Justin. And again, it, it does depend. If, if you're buying, and I still have some very good friends that are heavily involved in, in the show cattle deal and pretty well everything that, that leaves their place, you know, is obviously halter broke, some to different degrees than others, but everything's been washed multiple times, clipped. I mean, it, some of those guys, they do a fantastic job of getting those cattle ready to where, you know, maybe the, the middle end of November, first part of December, they can go show if they want to. And so, it, again, if it's an older kid or, or a family that's heavily involved in, in the show deal where they're going to go get on that, you know, pretty soon, that that's a different topic. But for, for right now, I might just focus on the, the kid, whether they're you know, early showman or even even a, a high school age kid that's 
wrapping up football season or volleyball season, fixing to start basketball. They still may fight it as hard as, as any of them when March rolls around. Now, obviously, you can't wait till the 20th of February to start getting getting those cattle ready if you're going to a, a jackpot the first weekend of March. But there's plenty of time for, for all of those things. And, and I guess my advice would be, regardless of your age, we talked about identifying what you're going to do and what your long-term goal is with those cattle. What's your short-term goal? You know, are, are you going to show that thing at all before the county fair? You know, when will your first show be? When when I was growing up, generally speaking, the last weekend of February was was kind of the kickoff show. And, and we'd go up to Hutch and we'd take our string and we wanted to have everything ready by then. And I bring that up. I, I think that's still fairly commonplace for, for most um, but if you're not showing till the, the first part of March, don't be in a hurry on October 10th when you get that new steer, new heifer, or, or especially more so if you're going to have multiple cattle on feed, multiple cattle in the barn, don't be in a hurry to get that started. The first, to me, the, the first or most important things you can do is earn their trust and get them on feed. Because here's the thing, if, if you're going to start jackpotting those cattle in February or March, they are going to have to have a pretty good head start. You know, you're, you're going to want to get those cattle eating well. Um, you can focus on whether they're halter broke or not, getting them better trained to a halter, getting them used to a show stick. You, you'll have plenty of time on weekends to, to wash those cattle. You'll have plenty of time to get them clipped up. Do the little things first, just like in selection. Cover the, the small boxes, check those boxes first. If you, you earn their trust, it'll make life a lot easier. If you get them on feed, it'll get you out of sticky situations later. Justin, you brought up the example of, okay, you know, we're way behind the eight ball in May. Well, let, let's avoid that. Let's get them on feed and get them rolling. And we'll have plenty of time to get those cattle jackpot ready. And especially again, if, if you're not, if you're maybe going to one jackpot in the spring and then going to the county fair, don't force anything in October. Um, you, you have Thanksgiving break coming up where you'll have all kinds of time to get out there and, and halt to break those cattle or get, get a couple of the first washes on those cattle. You'll have Christmas break where again, you maybe need a, a covered facility or a good show barn of some sort to, to navigate that. But you'll have plenty of time through those, those couple of months to focus on those things. When it, to me, when it starts, earn their trust and get them on feed, and, and you'll be glad you did it, I think, long-term. Yeah, I, I really agree with that, Barrett. I think, you know, for me, I think the big thing is if you go in and you buy a heifer from somebody, don't be afraid to talk to them. You know, I think a big thing that some people miss is make sure you talk to that person you buy them from about what they're currently being fed. And so if you know what they're currently being fed, then you, okay, to make that feed transition easier when you get them home so they don't have a big step back in their development curve, you know, talk to your the person you bought them from to make sure you kind of design a feed program that's very similar to the one that they're already on so they don't have a big drop. And so I think, you know, that's a big thing. And so that lessens the amount of impact that you have um, potentially in a negative way if they go off feed. You know, and I think that's really important. 
you know, if they're eating good, then they're not, you know, you're not going to potentially have to worry about as much sickness right off the bat or, you know, and also just make sure that you have plenty of clean water, you know, plenty of clean water, a good feed source, and uh, just to keep them going, to keep them bright-eyed and kind of away from sickness. And then also, if you go in and buy something, just talk about that person's health program, okay, and see if that calf that you're buying, okay, has there been any incidents of anything that I need to know about from a sickness perspective? I mean, if they had pink eye, if they, you know, if they had a respiratory issue, has there been anything that's going to kind of throw me a big red flag? And then, because I don't want to, I don't want to spend, you know, thousands of dollars or whatever, and then have a blow up two weeks later that I could have managed better if I would have asked questions. So, you know, that's where I think the relationship with the person you buy something from is so critical. So, yeah, that would be a couple of my thoughts on just how to get them home. And for those of you listening that don't know me, I've got a, I've got cerebral palsy. So that means that I walk with a cane and a walker. So when I was showing, okay, I knew that it was going to take more time for me to get my calf used to my situation. Okay, so there is no replacement in this for elbow grease and hard work. So you're going to have to be willing to get up before school or, you know, before any events that you've got going and put in the work with your project. And if you do that and spend the time with them, then you can kind of start to see, okay, what does my animal look like when they're healthy versus, okay, wait, they're, they're kind of lethargic today. They've got a down ear, maybe a weepy eye. You know, you can catch some of those things right off the bat if you're spending enough time with your project at home every day. Clint, that, that's a great point. Well, really, you made several great points, but I, I guess I would just follow up real quick and then I'll be done. But that's one thing that I always loved about showing cattle and maybe even more so about livestock judging after my show career was over. You can be as good at it as you want to be. Um, you may not always be able to beat that $30,000 steer, but, but you can go compete at a lot of different levels if you put in the work if you spend the time and we've not even talked about the showmanship side of things you know which is entirely in your control and so that that's a great point you it's one thing again there's only five starters on a basketball team there's only you know going to be one quarterback or, or there's only going to be one person that wins state cross country but in the show cattle deal and, and again i feel more this way even about the livestock judging side of things you have the ability to, to control how far you go and how successful you want, you want to be. And, and that really, um, that lit a fire under me when I was first starting and it, it maintained that fire, like say all the way through my college years. And, and that's something that I, I still put an emphasis on today in my life is, you know, I want to be involved with people and involved in business opportunities where the sky's the limit. You know, if I work hard at it, 
we can make something come of it. And I think that the youth livestock showing project, regardless of species, really embodies that. And, and the other thing, you know, if that doesn't get you excited, try, try just getting a few of them on feed. That, that October timeframe, November timeframe, when they're real calfy, you don't have to put a halter. Again, you, you don't have to go win a show, or at least I never did, to be excited about the project. And so I, that, that was one of my favorite times. Sure, hanging a few banners was great, or winning showmanship at different, different shows as a feeling that, you know, at that time in my life was, was almost unrivaled. But I'll say this, one of the most exciting things are those first couple of three weeks when you get your projects in, you, you're going out, you're, you're re-racking, you're feeding twice a day. That's an exciting time. And so don't forget, you know, with all the things that, that the three of us have mentioned for considerations and selecting or considerations when you get those cattle home, don't forget to enjoy it. You know, when, when you feed those cattle before you ever tie them up you know, spend a few minutes out there and look at it because they're yours, you know, and it's supposed to be fun. And, and back to one of Justin's original points, you're going to have a, a major relationship with those projects over the next eight, nine, 10 months. And so enjoy it, you know, have fun, look at what you got, look at the challenges that are going to be ahead of you. And, and hopefully it's something that, that you get excited about. For me, that was always one of the things that I liked most about showing cattle was the very beginning because it's a blank canvas, you know, and, and Clint, to your point, if you're willing to work hard at it and you're willing to put in the time, um, you, you can make something pretty special on that blank canvas and you get to try every year. So that, you know, that's about all I've got, but I sure appreciate your point about putting in the time and, and being as good as you want to be in this deal and, and um, you know, just having no quit. You know, if, if you're going to be successful showing livestock or really anything in agriculture, you, you got to have a lot of try and, and hardly any quit in you. Good point. <clears throat> Real good point, guys. And I'll tell you something. You guys, uh, you, you've probably seen this video. I've, got, I've still got it. Um, you've probably seen it in the original form. Our very first heifer project, just a ranch raise heifer. Uh, hadn't seen a whole lot of humans, and I've got a video of the first time me and Jancy sitting there at the bunk when she, when I say she, Jancy looks at me, and I've got a phone video going, and she goes, Dad, she just touched me. It was a big deal. I mean, you're taking this heifer that's ranch-raised, ain't seen a lot of humans, and as, as you said, Barrett, we're starting with a blank canvas. What are we going to make with it? Those little steps along the way, that first time touching the heifer and the heifer never stopped eating. That's a success. That first time putting the halter on, that first time with the, you know, all those, by the time the county fair rolled around, we already won. And I'm not talking about winning the show. I'm talking about right. I'd won the heart of my little girl and that, and that heifer as well. It was a successful project. I mean, they, I mean, it was... If, if, you, if you've not experienced that, if you're listening to this and you ain't experienced that, you, you need to reevaluate what you're doing uh, with livestock projects, period. You know, uh, we had an opportunity, Barrett knows this semi-heifer we bought a couple of years ago uh, from an old buddy of mine. We got along with this semi heifer really well. 
and uh, we had an opportunity to sell her. And I'll tell you, the reason she's still at my house is because of that relationship, not necessarily with the guy I bought her from, but she's still that one you go out and you can feed cake right out of your hand to. <laughs> I mean, and and it was it was the process along the way. You know, those memories of that little girl of mine and that heifer growing up together, you know, and that was that was during the COVID year. That heifer played a huge role in the mental health of my kids through through COVID. You know, we're out of school, we're working remotely. I mean, the world's flipped upside down. So, yeah, I appreciate you guys saying that. Uh, we're recording this prior to Thanksgiving. It'll be released the day after Thanksgiving. So I want to end it on this. I appreciate you guys coming on, taking time out of your day. What's something, uh, as, you, as you look back on the last year or so, things are kind of getting remotely back to normal a little bit. Clint, what's something that you're thankful for uh, as we as we go into this week, yeah, that's a really good question. I guess for me, you know, I told my I told some of my family, you know, being able to judge that show last weekend, just and and being able to spend time with youth, you know, and I, what I'm really thankful for is is just the opportunity to really meet people and uh, and build relationships with those people in the industry and. And just have an opportunity to really, you know, the thing that I love about the livestock industry is I've really learned to love the process of, you know, kind of what Barrett talked about from from start to finish. And so I guess I'm really thankful for that opportunity. And I think my parting piece of advice to any, you know, junior kids or families listening to this is, you know, don't get caught up in don't get caught up in the result necessarily of the show really you know really focus in on okay what what am i hoping my children learn from this project or what am i you know really thankful for about some of the things that we've been able to accomplish look at it from an incremental improvement standpoint not necessarily just the big picture so i guess i'm just really thankful because when I look at my journey to get to where I'm at, I look at all the people I've met and all the things that I've done. And if I would have been worried about the big picture at the end of it, I would have missed a lot of the joy and a lot of the memories along the way. So just really focus in on, on what you can control and, and find joy and learn from the experiences that you have. Well, that's a little bit hard to follow, Justin, but, uh, you know, for me, I guess I'm thankful for a lot of things, and I, I would kind of throw the umbrella over it, just a lot of the opportunities, particularly in the past year that I've been afforded. Um, just about a year ago, actually, I had the, the chance to move home, and so this has been the first, basically, production cycle since I would have been living at my parents' house in high school that I've, I've been able to be back and be back almost every day and run cows with my dad. And that's that's been a really special feeling, um, a, a learning curve, no doubt, uh, again, to be back. But been been involved in the agriculture industry all the way growing up um, and through college and through the early part of my career and now to be able to, 
to, to go back and, and run cows with him and, and carry on that, that business entity has been really special. Also got, got the chance to pursue a dream and, and just earlier this year and had started pursuing livestock auctioneering as well. And so that's been something just like we talked about here with the cattle showing and livestock judging, um, you can be as good as you want to be. And so I've had a chance to maybe put my money where my mouth is in, in that regard, but have had so many opportunities and, and not just in the past calendar year, but, but a, a, for a long time. And, and lots of those were started in, in my career showing livestock um, and, and the relationships and connections that Clint talked about that, that continue to come full circle. So really thankful for those and, and sure appreciate you reaching out to me and, and to Clint as well and, and having us join you. It's, it's been a blast, man. Ben, it has been my pleasure. Two of my favorite people, and I mean that, well, Clinton Barrett. I'm Stuff glad like you guys that. took time out of your day to, to visit. And, and, and Clint, you may not know this, that day that Barrett was, Barrett was in Cherokee, Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago at the auctioneer contest. I told him, I said, if you think they had a crowd at that sale barn for that auctioneer contest, you should have seen the crowd we had at the extension office in Cherokee for our sheep and goat conference. Now that was a crowd, Jack. <laughs> Barrett did a great job going to the sem national semifinals. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, sir. I, I saw that. Congrats, bro. That's great. Thanks, I knew when you when you went to get up out of that chair and that guy sitting beside you reached over and shook your hand and you could hear it faintly through Facebook. Great job, buddy. I knew you had a chance in because he wasn't doing yeah, that. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. But Clint, I appreciate you taking time. I know you've got to jump off here and get on to another meeting, but congratulations if, if, if we didn't uh, say it earlier. Uh, Clint had a big win up in Wyoming with a bull. Uh, he also judged the show. He didn't judge the show that his bull was in. We'll make <laughs> no, that, clear. that would have been a little bit of a conflict of interest, <laughs> but I did really enjoy judging up there. And, and you know, it's one of those things. It's uh, it's cool to be able to do that and give back uh, to, to that group of people that have given me a lot. So You bet. Well, guys, have a great Thanksgiving and uh, good to catch up with you. We'll see you on sure. down the road. Sounds great, Justin. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Barrett. Thank you for listening to The County Agent. Be sure to like, subscribe, or leave a review.